right. Well, let's get things underway here. My name is Ted Esler, and welcome to today's webinar from Missio Nexus. I'm president of Missio Nexus, and I'm going to be your host today. And thanks for joining uh, this webinar titled Simplifying Muslim Outreach. I want to pray for our time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for this technology that's binding us together. I pray for the topic today, and I think of all of the all of the uh, people that do Muslim ministry out there, uh, Lord, and how this, how we share you and your message and your story and present you in a way that uh, really highlights just the incredible way you are, can be a challenge for us to think about. And so pray that today uh, we would all learn and grow in our understanding of how to uh, introduce um, our our friends uh, that are Muslims uh, to you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for our presenter. And just lift this all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings, everyone. I hope you can hear me. I just unmuted. Are we there, Ted? Yes, hear you great. <clears throat> great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Missio Nexus, for allowing this seminar to take place today. Uh, and Ted, thank you so much. You've been very personal and dealing with me in preparation for this. You called me personally. I didn't expect that from the big boss and that actually ministered to me. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, for the staff at Missio Nexus, thank you for being very gracious and helping me as we prepare. And guys, we wanna have fun today. And we wanna talk about a topic that a lot of people uh, I think can use a little bit of hope in. We wanna talk about how can we simplify Muslim outreach. Now that might seem in and of itself to be an oxymoron because some people are thinking like, well, wait a minute, Muslim outreach is difficult. It's actually really difficult is what a lot of people tell me all the time. And so I just want to share some really simple ways that you can connect and share the gospel in a meaningful way with Muslims. So that's the focus. And so everything is going to be really practical. And I have some more good news for you. This is not going to be a very scholarly session. So anyone out there working on their doctorates, like, oh, yeah, well, that's right. It, yeah, this is a not a fun one for you. This is not going to be a crazy scholarly session here because guess what? Most of us aren't scholars. And what I what happened with me is I used to go out and I you'll go to conferences or something and I'd look at these, just watch these people share, and they would tell the most fantastic stories and they're just so brilliant. And I thought, man, I. I have to be that person and I could never be. And for years I thought maybe God doesn't have a place for me in his mission because I don't have the intellectual bandwidth to keep up with some of these guys. And I know a little bit about this because I have a brother who's an actual scholar in every way. And it's really frustrating following that guy in school, by the way. I mean, when your brother's like the best student and then you follow him, it's like, Oh, man, everyone has such high expectations for me. But guess what? I don't need to be him. You don't need to be him. You don't need to be anybody. You just need to be you. God made you in a special, very unique way. And what's really fun is when I get to teach this, we often see students take it much further than I've been able to. And we're going to show you an example of that today as well. So thank you again so much for coming and you know what, all we're gonna do here today is we're just gonna share some ideas. This isn't the only way how to do this. 
you know, I'm just going to give you what's helped me. I am going to give you some, you know, some biblical parameters that I believe, yeah, that's how we should do it. But everything else is just a bunch of ideas. I just want to put in front of you what's helped me. And by the way, I'm really qualified to teach this today because I have an advantage over every one of you. I guarantee I have made more mistakes than all of you, maybe all of you combined. And what I've found is that mistakes can be God's super highway to learning. I mean, how many of us learned not to touch a hot stove by our parents telling us or by touching the hot stove, right? Well, hey, you know, burnt fingers here, right? I learned real quick. Sometimes God allows us to have the feeling of making a mistake. It could be a real mistake. It could be a perceived mistake. That's not a mistake at all. But, be, but what happened with me is that forced me to go and learn more, to press into this. And I just wanted to start showing you what we learned along the way. And by the way, I did not start out in a good place. I mean, my, my very first time, I was really trying to share the gospel with a Muslim. I was, I was in Dubai and I'd uh, been away from home for about three months. And I was in other parts, I was in India and other places before. And when we came to Dubai, I was really excited. You know, this is like 20 years ago. I was, so I was like, well, man, I'm like in prime eating stage as a single guy, right? And so I thought Dubai, I heard they have a pizza hut at Dubai. And I'm like, man, I, I'm going to get me some pizza, right? It's been three months since I've had pizza. So me and my buddy went out and we're enjoying Dubai. And all of a sudden, this man walked right up to me and he had the white robe and the white prayer hat. And he just like right up and he's like, are you a Christian? And I'm like, hey, wow, hey, I, I'm looking for Pizza Hut. I'm not, yeah, I, I, and because the leaders of our team told us, don't make a big mistake by going out and trying to do street ministry. That's not the priority for our trip to Dubai. So I, I didn't know what to say. And I just said, well, I guess I can tell him I'm a Christian. So I said, well, yeah. And then he looks at me with, he just looked at me with such sincerity and he said, what does that mean? And guys, I, I didn't know what to tell him because I knew that I could be saying something that makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to him. And I, I gave it my best shot and man, maybe the Holy Spirit used that. I, I don't know, but it was, it was a trial for me. And so I've been on this journey. How can I answer those questions? And what I've found and thankfully, due to so many people who have spent time with me when I showed no potential. But as I've had to relearn how to share the gospel with Muslims, I found it's far simpler. In fact, just where I'm at right now, I would far rather share the gospel with a Muslim who has a PhD than the average uh, you know, college student living around me. I find the average Muslim far more open um, and actually, they, they are designed in some ways to receive this truth. I really believe that. We just have to kind of get it to them in a way that they can actually understand. So we're going to talk about that today. But one of my big things is I want to help you because so many Muslims are so wide open to the gospel. I want to help you so that when God puts a Muslim in front of you who has an open heart, you will know how to navigate that conversation. And there's a lot that we can't talk about today. It's only an hour. And so I'm going to make some other resources available for you at the end. Uh, and we'll have a Q&A session as well. So first of all, when we think about Muslim outreach, this is what happens with a lot of people. Like if I were to ask you, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about this? Well, I get a lot of different uh, comments from different people. In fact, I'm not the guy that goes in front of groups of CEOs. 
but I did it one time. There's about 15 CEOs in this boardroom and they wanted to, me to share about this. Um, so I did it. What's funny is they had all the same hangups about Muslim outreach that most students I have do. And some of these guys were leading ministries that have large Muslim outreach programs. But this is what they said. Well, you know, Muslims are just hard to reach. You know, they're resistant to the gospel. And you have to know a lot of stuff. And one CEO said this, he goes, I'm just afraid that I won't know what to say. And maybe this is your experience. So let me start off with some things straight from the word of God that can address all three of these. And I would call these the three foundations, because honestly, I believe those things are a lot of people's experiences. I don't believe that that is God's truth. I don't believe that's God's, uh, what God wants us to believe about Muslim outreach. So the first foundation is this. We love Muslims. Muslims are not projects. They are people. And we need to treat them as people. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we, should, we need to pry as a priority. We need a heart of love towards Muslims. In fact, right here, First uh, John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us, love one, lo let us love one another. For love comes from God. It can be really hard to love someone you don't know, right? Like if, if you meet Muhammad or you meet the guy in the street in Dubai like I, like I did, it, it can be really hard to love them right away, right? But what if we did this? God, can you please fill my heart with your pure and holy love for Muslims? Lord, can you give me the same love for them that you have? Because guys, we cannot manufacture love. We can't do this. Love comes from God. So first step, Lord, can you fill my heart with love for Muslim people? And second of all this, because love isn't just something on the list of what we should do. Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples, not Christians, disciples, if you love one another. This scripture is misquoted often. Um, and that comes from John uh, 13, 35. So they will know you are my disciples if you love. Love isn't just a task to do. This is the very identity Jesus gives us. So, Lord, can you fill my heart full of love for Muslim people? The second one, we look for a person of peace. This comes out of Luke 10, but also Matthew 10 and other scriptures. Jesus told it to, um, you know, the, the 72 when he went out. Find someone who promotes peace or a person of peace. There's a lot of different ways to communicate this. Um, what I, the way I view this is look for someone who's receptive. In fact, I think we need to look for receptivity, not just pick fights. I've been in situations where people go out to share with Muslims and essentially they're, they're picking a fight. I think, why, why would you do that? And I, I mean, you know, you can do that and some Muslims probably will come to faith, but I've done that and I've seen exceedingly little fruit. And by the way, if you are going to do that, you do have to know a lot of stuff, right? Um, but, you know, if, if we really love someone, do we just want to go pick a fight with them? Am I going to go straight after this? And man, I love my wife so much, 18 years, you know, I, and I'm going to tell her how she's wrong about everything. I mean, what is our heart posture towards Muslims? Um, so we, we can do this, but I think we should look for people to share the gospel with, like you're picking apples from a tree. 
I mean, how do you pick an apple from a tree, right? Well, you look for one that's ripe and ready. And not all of them are. So if we get to an apple that's it's not ripe yet, just give it more time. Find one that's ripe. So when I'm dealing with Muslims, if, if someone is just not receptive in any way, that's okay. I don't force the gospel on them. I don't believe that's more of a spiritual thing to do. I just give them some more time. But I'm okay moving on to the next person. Graciously, lovingly, I don't block that other person. I'm still friends with them. But I look for someone else to share. I uh, took some students out one time to a little place uh, not too far from me where Muslims are hanging out. And the first Muslim we shared this with, he was like, no, no, thanks. It's like, okay, well, he's, he's just not ready. The second Muslim we shared with, he's like, yes, yes, tell me more about this. I'm so glad I didn't try to force feed the first Muslim all of our material or what I thought I should tell him. I'm so glad we gently, graciously moved on to someone else because that, that guy, the second guy, was receptive. So the third foundation, we only rely on the Holy Spirit. So please hear me in this. I am not the model for how to do this. I am not the expert. I don't believe anyone is an expert in how to reach Muslims. Only the Holy Spirit is an expert in this. So your hope today is not that, you know, Jeff's going to teach you something, not that you're going to have a book to give you some ideas. When it comes down to it, and I do believe we should prepare, and I do prepare, when we're in the moment of sharing, the posture of our heart should be, Holy Spirit, can you just give me the words to say? Because when I used to go out, I, I used to try to think so hard of what to say, like, what do I say? How do I say it? All these things. Well, I wasn't too good. I wasn't too good at that. And um, not a lot of people came to faith. But a professor at my school showed me this. It's Matthew 10, 20. And by the way, 18 through 20 is such a great passage. We're just for time going to focus on this. Uh, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That is a promise. Jesus said just before, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. So what if this was true in us? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit can give us what to say? Or do we believe that we need to try to be smarter than everyone we share the gospel with? Well, I just focused on this. And guys, I've made so many mistakes trying to be smarter, trying to, you know, and even once we started seeing Muslims come to faith, I said, well, now I got this method. And one day my method just fell apart. It was like this one Muslim was bulletproof. And when you've led, seen many Muslims come to faith and then all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. It's like, well, what happened? And I just felt this soft, gentle voice of the Lord in my life. And he said, you know, it'd be really nice if you could let me do the talking instead of you going through your shtick. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, Lord, I did it again. I boiled this down to a method. It's not a method. I said, so the next Muslim I got together with said, Lord, I don't care about the method. I don't care about even my previous stuff that I've seen really work. Lord, can you just lead me and guide me? And that next conversation I had with a Muslim, different Muslim a couple of days later went in a different way than I thought it would. But I was like, Lord, I didn't plan for it to go the way. I'm, I'm going to leave it to you. And I'm just going to try to listen to the voice of your spirit in my life. And that Holy Spirit came to faith. That, that Muslim actually came to faith right away. And it was just, it, it was different than what I thought it would be, but it was so much better. I'm so glad I didn't try to outsmart him. He's smarter than me anyway, right? So, uh, and by the way, we also need the spirit-filled response. 
So I've been with Muslims and at times they'll, you know, maybe even attack me. And one Muslim looked at me and he goes, you believe Jesus is the son of God? <laughs> like, like mocking me to my face about that. And guess what? That rubbed me wrong. I did not enjoy that very much, but you know what? Holy Spirit, can I respond with all the fruit of the Spirit in this situation? Because I can get angry. You know, I can give him some little zinger, right? Like, uh, like, and don't ever say this, but I've heard some people say, well, you know, Jesus is alive, but Muhammad's dead. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, guys, that doesn't bring Muslims closer to Jesus. I mean, if it does, it is just a miracle because that puts distance between us and them. And chances are you're the only one who's ever going to share with that Muslim. Most Muslims, uh, whether you're in North America, Europe, or any part of the world, most Muslims haven't rejected the gospel. They've just never heard it in a way that they can actually understand. So if I can, but if I can respond with fruit of the spirit, even in the difficult moments, if I can respond with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, Holy Spirit, give me those things we are going to find it far easier to build rapport with them and to earn their trust. And by the way, I've, uh, some people I know have this little expression. We can build bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. When we can uh, build a relationship with them, it becomes so much easier to share truth with them. And they're far more likely to receive it. When we get into arguments, what can happen is fists can go up. And when fists get clenched, hearts get clenched. But what happens is when we truly love our friends, our arms are open, we can see their hearts open. So clenched fists, clenched hearts, open arms, open hearts. This is how we've seen the vast majority of Muslims that we've led to, uh, to that's how they've come to faith, through something like that. So we need the fruit of the spirit. So guys, what are our action points here? And this should make it easier right off the bat. Like, Lord, can you give me love for all Muslims or all people, actually? Maybe some of you need to pray for God to give you love for everyone on your team. That can be helpful, right? Uh, Lord, can you lead me to someone who's spiritually ready? And then third thing, Holy Spirit, whenever I speak, can you just be giving me the words to say? And can you help me to respond and in a way that's appropriate as well? I believe when we start there, outreach gets so much easier. It does. And we're putting our faith in the Lord, not in someone's training. Now, by the way, I am going to show you a couple things that I learned. I'm just giving you options. These are just ideas. It's not the only way to do it. If you want to ask me, this is, what, this is where the money is. This is how you do it. Now, I prepare, like I said, but at, while, instead of focusing on being smarter, when I focus on these things, Outreach gets so much easier and it's so much more fun too. I mean, I go out with my Muslim friends. We have so much fun. So this has been such a delight to do it this way. Now I have a big question for you. Do you actually believe the Lord will do these things through you? I mean, let's make this real practical, right? Do you believe God will do that? Do you believe God will give you just incredible love for Muslims? Well, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like he's speaking through you right away, but do you believe that'll happen? Well, I believe he will. He's done it in me. And if he can do it in me, he can do it in you. Okay. And by the way, if you don't believe so, then just pray for him. Pray these things into reality. And something else that's not in your notes, it's, um, you know, it's, I don't even have a slide for it yet, but I, I just 
want to share with something. I want to share a testimony of one of our students. Um, my mentor and I went to Africa to train a group of guys over there. And uh, I just have a little testimony. And Ted, if you can go ahead and play that little video, let's see what the Lord can do through some of these simple steps. All right, I'm getting it up here. Uh, I'm getting it up here. He's getting it up there, okay. Well, I'm still, uh, these guys are incredible and they've seen a lot more happen since then. This video is about four years, maybe five years old now. It's been a lot of fun. Here we go. Okay, it's gonna come up in my video feed. Ready? Greetings, everyone. Jeff here from Kakamega, Kenya. And we're here training with, uh, with some other friends of ours. And this is the second time we've been here now. We were here a year ago. And this is my good friend, Moses. He was at this training a year ago. So Moses, what have you seen and experienced since you got that training? Uh, I'm very happy because uh, when I had that training here uh, last year, I was trained about uh, teaching Muslims to bring them to the kingdom of God. So through that training, I was teached by Brother Jeff. Uh, from there, I enter the house of Muslims, and then I reach one by one, teaching them about enter the kingdom of God. So from that training, 10 Muslims already has entered the kingdom of God. 10 Muslims? Yes. Are you sure? I'm sure. You're not? That's a lot. No, it's just exactly 10. Exactly 10. Yeah. That is wonderful. So how are you doing this? How are you seeing so many guys come to faith in Christ? Mm, I just build a relationship with them, and then I hand that in their house. So I reach one. Then I spoke to them about uh, the kingdom of God using scripture that I learned in the training about Matthew 5.20, then Luke, about, he's talking about seek the kingdom of God, all the things. That's wonderful. So what, what, what happened to these 10 guys now? Where are they now? Now, right now, they're teachers, because now they're teaching other Muslims to come the kingdom of God, because after me sharing them about uh, the kingdom of God and teaching them now, right now, they're teachers, but they're teaching others. So you're still discipling them? Uh, I'm still discipling them. And then they're telling others about Jesus as well. Exactly, and then that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. And I gotta tell everyone back home, this is exactly why we come, because there are very good people here. There you go. Wow, do you guys believe that? In one year, he led 10 Muslims to the Lord. And I'll be real honest. I didn't actually believe him when I first heard this, but I spent some time with him and I asked him a lot of specific questions. <laughs> I believe he did it. And he, he never asked me for a dime or anything else. He just asked how he can learn more. And I thought, ha, you're doing better than me. I've been led 10 Muslims to the Lord in a year. Um, but guys, how did he do that? What was the starting point? Well, he built a relationship with them, and then he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you in a really simple way. And again, we can't get to everything in this short time today, but I'm going to give you some of the basics here. So, but let me give you some, you know, how, how do we connect with Muslims? Well, first of all, for, for most of us, just go and make a friend. 
And to make a friend, you have to be a friend. So go and be a friend with a Muslim. And some of you are like, well, I'm from normal Illinois. I don't know a lot of Muslims. Okay, ask God to give you a Muslim friend. Now, maybe you live in Mogadishu and you have them coming out your ears, right? But for the rest of us, ask God to give you a Muslim friend. And, or if you're looking for one, go visit a Muslim business or uh, a neighborhood. You can pray walk through neighborhoods. Or also there's an app called the Zabiha app. And uh, that is a really great way. It highlights uh, mosques, markets, and restaurants. I mean, go get a shawarma. You're going to have a great time, right? But just go be among Muslims and make a friend. But when you connect with them, there's some really simple ways that we can build a relationship with them. And first of all, find common ground with them. This is a really simple way. And, and by the way, isn't this what we all do in a lot of other situations? I mean, you know, when I first, you know, kind of met my wife before she was my wife and if she really liked something, well, I, yeah, yeah you, wow, you, you like undertaking? Undertaking's wonderful. She's not an undertaker, you know, or whatever it was. I, well, she's into that. Ah, yeah, I, you know, I'm into that too. You know, I mean, you know, we, we kind of do this. Why? Because we want to connect with people. Well, this actually comes straight out of scripture, but it's not some little false way to just earn someone's respect or trust. Paul uses in sharing the gospel right here, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Finding common ground was Paul's strategy for building rapport so he can share the good news. And remember, so I can save some. And Paul talks all about this in this passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Um, so how can we keep doing this? Well, by the way, finding commonality, because when we talk about Muslims, I mean, it's one thing if it's your neighbor, right? But with a Muslim, a lot of people have this view that we just don't have anything in common with a Muslim. Well, um, I really believe that's quite false. Uh, like it or not, we do have a lot in common with them. And also what I find is as God opens our heart and we start to love them as people, we just start seeing it everywhere. So, uh, but you finding common ground does not mean that you believe or agree with everything they believe in. For example, in, in Acts 17, Paul was sharing the gospel with a bunch of Greek idol worshipers. In, in Acts 17, 28, he quoted two pagan Greek poets. They were writing, the, the guys are artists in Epimenides. They were writing poetry about Zeus. And Paul quoted them. Why? Because he was just looking to connect so he can get to Jesus. And that's what he did. And we saw a lot of people come to faith right there in that chapter. And, and if you're not sure, well, how far can I go with finding commonality? Find commonality where it agrees with scripture. Now, that's not the only way to do it. But if you're just learning... So, for example, if Muslims believe something that is also in the Bible, that's okay. We have that in common. And I have had Muslims tell me, and they say, well, Jeff, we, we believe the same exact thing, don't we? believe the same exact thing. And we haven't talked even that much spiritually, but they like me, and I like them, and we're friends. I don't even exactly know what they mean by that, but I just look at Adam, and I, and I just say, we have a lot in common, don't we? So I never say, if I quote the Quran or anything, I never say, oh, I endorse everything that it says. I say, well, there's this thing that I like right here. 
And that's totally permissible to do it. We do have a lot in common with Muslims. So if we look at what the Quran says, for example, there's a lot of common stories. All of these men, Adam, Noah, Abraham, their stories are in the Quran. And a lot of it lines up so well with scripture. Yeah, there are some differences, right? There are, but a lot of the differences in, and I've heard other people say, share the opposite. I've really studied these. I find the differences to be really minimal. For example, Noah and the ark. Noah has a fourth son that refuses to get on the ark. Why? Because he's so prideful. He says, I'm going to climb the highest mountain and save myself. I don't know. I don't know if he had another son or not. I, it's likely that he could have had many, m- many other kids, many grandbabies, you know, maybe grand grandbabies. Uh, if you look at the day, people started having kids at age 30. There's a very good possibility a lot of Noah's ex- extended family did not get on the ark with him. Maybe when he got drunk after the ark landed, it was just a sign of remorse for all these loved ones that didn't get on the ark. So I can just look at that story in the Quran and I say, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to try to save yourself or do you just want to receive God's mercy and get on the ark? What kind of person do you want to be? Because that's pride when you say I can save myself. What if you could just receive God's way of of being saved? So it can be even an allegory, but you don't have to agree with that. But also, we have some common books with Muslims. Now, Muslims believe that God sent four books. He believe, they believe that God sent the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Psalms of David. That's all the book of Psalms, basically. Uh, the Gospels. And then they believe God sent the Quran. Muslims will readily tell you that these first three books have been corrupted. What's really interesting, though is that the Quran actually says that the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels are from God, and God protects them. It's multiple passages say this. I just find that really interesting. In fact, this is a little passage from the Quran. It says, there is no altering or changing the words of God. That's Eunice, that I believe Jonah, and that is uh, ten, chapter 10, verse 64. The Quran is just broken up into um, chapters and verses. So it says right there that these books are from God and God protects them in many other verses like that. So that's a nice thing that we have in common with them. And there's also a lot of commonality when it comes to what we believe about Jesus. And again, I'm not saying we share everything, but there are some key points that can be really helpful as we share the gospel with Muslims. For example, the Quran says that Jesus is called the word of God and the Messiah. And again, these are the references where in the Quran it says that. It says that he was born from a virgin. He was completely sinless. No one else is born from a virgin in the Quran. No one else is completely sinless their entire life. No one's called the word of God. No one else is called the Messiah. And the word of God, that's straight out of John 1. Jesus performed great miracles. Well, Moses did that, but not to the extent that Jesus did it. In this verse right here, 349, Jesus raises the dead, and it's repeated later in the Quran as well. It says that Jesus died and rose again at the will of God. Now, this one is a little trickier because if you were to take a Quran like I have right here, this version of the Quran came out, it's translated from the Arabic. It says this exact thing that, that it actually says this. God is speaking. He said, oh, Jesus, I will cause you to die and raise you up to life again or make you bring you back to life. 
This Quran says that. A year later, this was reprinted. It looks like this. That verse was changed. So a lot of Qurans don't have that, but a new one came out recently. This is a copy of the Quran by the name of Sati Kas Kas. And if you need any of these resources, please, I'll, you'll have my email afterwards. It says that exact thing, chapter 355. Oh, Jesus, I will cause you to die and raise you up to myself. So some Muslims will tell me that, you know, I don't believe, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross. No, 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 no. God just raised him up, um, like similar to Elijah. Um, and I say, okay, well, you know, even your Quran says that. And they say, no, <laughs> no. Well, let's look it up. And it's really fun to show that. And you, you don't do that with arrogance. You do that with true humility, by the way, because arrogance isn't going to help you. This isn't some way to just defeat their arguments. It's simply speaking the truth in love. That's all we want to do. Ephesians 4.15 on that, by the way. So, but even though we have all this and a lot more, Muslims still believe that Jesus is only a prophet. Again, similar to Elijah. That's kind of how they view him. So, but that's okay. We... We have a pretty good head start here, don't we? That's a pretty good way to, a pretty good list to start with. So, and, and is, if you're willing to use some of these things, it can make answering some of the really difficult questions really simple. Uh, and let me just give you a couple of these. Uh, you know, are you a Christian? By the way, you think, what's so difficult about that? A lot of Muslims view the word Christian very differently than we view it. They view it as someone who is from Western culture. I've had Muslims say to me, well, I mean, Jeff, you're from America. Isn't everyone in America is a Christian? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, oh, yeah. Look, get, get a piece of your money. It'll say in God we trust. Of course, everyone in America is a Christian. Think of what that means. This means that every dirty movie that comes out in worse in a Muslim's eyes, is made by Christians, starring Christians, for Christians. I was flying through Dubai, and uh, uh, there was a filthy movie that was on a big display in a bookstore. They probably think that's made by Christians for, for Christians. It, uh, it's a filthy movie, and uh, I'm not even going to say the name of it. They, and of course, it's a movie that comes from America. So if you say you're a Christian... That doesn't necessarily mean to them, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm a disciple of him. That could just mean I'm from Western culture. And even if Muslims know a little bit more, know that some people are Christians and some people are not, they may not know the difference between uh, a Christian and a Roman Catholic. And I've, some Roman Catholics believe just what I believe. Many do not. And they think that if you are a Christian, they're like, oh, so, so you pray to Mary. Is that right? You're a Christian, you pray to Mary, because we've seen pictures of people going to a cathedral or something, and, and you need a priest to forgive you, right? You can't go to God. See, Muslims, we go to God directly. You need a priest. And they get a lot of these things mixed up. So if someone asks you, are you a Christian? Here's a really simple way to answer that. I just say it like this. I say, well, you know, um, I mean, you, you know, you could call me that in one sense, but I don't like to think of myself that way, because a lot of people don't submit to God when they call themselves a Christian. So if it were up to me, I would like to call myself a follower of Jesus because the most important thing to me is submitting to God as my king. And a lot of times Muslims are like, whoa, that can clarify who you are. 
Um, and there's a lot of other ways to answer that, but I just find identifying yourself more as a follower of Jesus than a Christian. By the way, the country of Lebanon is broken into different neighborhoods. There's Christian, there's uh, Muslim, there's Druze, and a lot of other groups. You have bars and strip clubs in those neighborhoods, but not in the Muslim or Druze neighborhoods. They're only in quote-unquote Christian neighborhoods. I've met Saudis doing their own little trip to Lebanon because they say they like the culture. So they're probably going to a quote-unquote Christian neighborhood to engage in sin. So just be careful for the label Christian. You should identify it a little bit more than that. The second one, Muslims will quickly say, well, you know, Jeff, your Bible's been corrupted. And so usually when I get something, first of first response should be this. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say of this? Holy Spirit, can you just give me the words to say? And it should be that for all of these. And by the way, we want to respond with the fruit of the Spirit. So when a Muslim, and by the way, right in front of my house here, I met a Muslim, he was a PhD. He said this to me right away, well, your Bible's been corrupted. And so I just smile. I said, yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that before. And this is what the Spirit led me to say. I said, well, you know what? I'm really not an expert in your book, and I'm not. I'm not an expert in the Quran, but uh, uh, but I've read a little bit, and, and I came apart this passage, and it says that all the previous books, that's the Torah, Psalms, and Gospels, are from God, and that God protects them. So I just really like how your Quran honors so much of my Bible. And I just look at him and smile. It's not a debate. It's not an argument. I, I didn't shame him. By the way, if you shame the person, you often lose the person. So we don't need to shame anyone. Jesus had a habit of lifting up people, not shaming them. Uh, we can lift up Muslims and honor them as we share the gospel with them. And so I've never had a Muslim, a Muslim feel attacked as I've said that. But what happens is he, he kind of looks at me and he's like, and th this is a PhD. He looked at me and he goes, you know, my Quran actually does say that. I've never actually thought of it before that way. And, and I said, well, can I just show you an easy place to start reading the Bible? I took him right to the Sermon on the Mount. And he's reading it with me. And he's like, this is beautiful. Do you see how easy that can be? I had a friend that sit and argue the validity of the Bible with a Muslim for three hours. He didn't get anywhere. Um, but we, we don't have to get caught up in that question. We can answer it simply because, guys, I don't want to argue about the Bible all day. I want to share the gospel with them. And so I want to advance the conversation, answer this quickly so I can move on to the next thing. Uh, and then next, there is only one God. Yeah, and because Muslims hear the Trinity, and they, that sounds like we have three gods. By the way, most Muslims think that the Trinity is God, Jesus, and Mary. That's what they actually believe it is. So I just say, well, you know, I've, I, and, I, and I'll tell myself, you know, if you hear Christians talk, I mean, it does, we do talk sometimes like we have three gods. And, and I get that that's confusing, but can, can I just explain to you what I really believe? Because I only believe in the one God of Abraham. There's only one God. You know, we need God. God doesn't need us, right? He's the one almighty God of Abraham. That's who I believe in. But God did something very special. He sent something called his word. So I believe in something called the word of God. And God did something very special again. He sent something called his spirit. So I believe in one God and he sent his word and he sent his spirit. 
And usually Muslims look at me and, and they get kind of confused and they say, but that's what I believe. So I love to joke around with my Muslim friends. I say, oh, so you believe in three gods too. And then they go, oh, no, 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 no. See, that, that's not three gods. See, there's God, but then there's, there's the word and then there's the spirit. Because in the Quran, who is the word of God? It's Jesus. And again, they also believe in the Holy Spirit. In fact, in chapter two of the Quran, it says, God strengthened Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So I just find that a lot of fun. It's a simple way to answer a complex question. Um, and then fourth, they think, well, you know, God doesn't have a son or Jesus is not the son of God. When they say that, or if they ask you, do you believe God? Uh, God is, you know, the father of Jesus or Jesus is the son of God. What they're actually thinking is this. You believe that God came down from heaven had physical sex with Mary, got her pregnant up to heaven, like all the boys do, right? And then, you know, took off. And then somehow Jesus was born half God, half man, or maybe a man who became a God. That, that's like straight out of Greek mythology. That's how, you know, Zeus fathered Hercules in that way, according to Greek mythology. So that's what they think. And I say, well, so if I hear God doesn't have a son, I'd say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And usually they say that there is some connection, like physical connection. Like, no, 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 no. Nobody believes that. You see, Mary was never touched by anyone. She became pregnant with Jesus through a miracle. God never physically touched her in that way, which is actually what the Quran says. And then they're like, oh, because they think that we have a God who lusts after human women. Uh, that's a really corrupt God. They don't want anything to do with that God, right? So we say, no, no, God is holy. God doesn't do that. So those are some simple ways to answer questions. But answering their questions isn't even going to share the gospel. But here's a place to start a spiritual conversation. If we can start with talking about the kingdom of God, that is phenomenal. In fact, think of it like this. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, your kingdom come. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. Jesus teaches that us to pray that. I prayed that for years, never even knew what it meant. And then just after that, seek first the kingdom of God. And what I, what I can't understand is, I feel like as followers of Jesus, we don't give this enough gravity. I mean, when Jesus says, seek first, whatever comes after that is a pretty big deal. And think of it like this, seek first to make Jesus the absolute king over every area of your life. That's how I think of it. That's how I recommend as a starting point. There's a lot more to it, but that's a good way to start. And so I just tell my Muslim friends, like, well, what do you think the message of Jesus is? And they'll probably say Christianity and that, you know, that, that's fine. Um, I say, well, you know, it's funny. Jesus never once mentioned the word Christian, um, not in the Greek New Testament anyway. Um, and, uh, but you know what? He talks about this thing all the time called the kingdom of God. What do you think that is? I mean, from your point of view, and then we can, there's a whole nother way to describe what the kingdom of God is. We're not going to get into that today. We can give that as a resource. It's a beautiful little illustration to start a spiritual conversation. By the way, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the thing Jesus talked about the most. And we're also talking about something that's good news to a Muslim. Christianity sounds like bad news to a Muslim, but if we can start talking about the kingdom, we can start where Jesus started. That sounds like good news. Now, some Muslims 
They want to talk about Christianity. That's okay. But a lot of times they're resistant. So I found starting with the kingdom is a great way to do this. Uh, and another way, when we actually can say to them, can I just show you a way that you and I can enter God's kingdom together? And if we've built friends, if we've, de you know, if we've demonstrated that we love them, uh, if we become close, quite often I hear yes, because you're a safe person. You're a person who's for them, not against them. And so often Muslims actually say, yeah, yeah, sure, you can show me. And so I just start sharing in this way. I just tell a series of stories that point to Jesus. And it's simple. My children can tell you every one of these stories, okay? Uh, and they can do it as a young age. You don't have to be a scholar. You, there's a little bit of work, doesn't mean you're a scholar. So here's what we're gonna do. Tell the stories, and then we're gonna tell the spiritual meaning of each story. And by the way, Muslims don't know the order of these stories, so we're going to help them out with that as well. And then we can show how all these stories point to Jesus. Now, one leads to the other, to the other, and at the end, they're all pointing to Jesus. And we're going to make that exceedingly clear. So we do something called the straight path timeline. And all we're going to do is tell the story of Adam. I just draw a little line and I say, can I just let me just show you what I think the straight path to God is. By the way, Muslims, if they do their prayers correctly, they do all five prayers correctly, they're going to pray the same prayer 17 times a day because in each one of those five daily prayers, there's multiple units of prayer. They pray the opening chapter of the Quran called Al-Fatiha. That one little line in there is God show us the straight path. So Muslims are constantly praying, God show us the straight path. By the way, in the Quran, the straight path is connected to following Jesus. We can show you that another time. Um, but I don't, I don't finish there, by the way. I usually let I usually get to that one a little bit later. Or maybe, I mean, I should say I do finish there. But uh, but I'd say, can I just show you what I think the straight path is? Because I believe the straight path will lead us to God's kingdom. And then we just start telling all these stories, but think of it like this: Muslims, Muslims don't always know the order, right? I had a Muslim tell me that David came before Moses. So I just kind of smiled and said, you know, mm, yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, but think of it like this. If you take Old Testament stories and kind of jumble them all together, it's kind of weird. And it, it can be perceived as weird, right? So, okay, God told some guy, Abraham, to go and murder his son. And another guy was in the belly of a fish for three days. That's just kind of weird. You know, and if, especially if they're not in order, it's even weirder. So Muslims, I think they just don't really know how to make sense of all this. So what we want to do, use each one of these like a puzzle piece. We take this puzzle piece, we show it how it connects to this one. And this piece connects here and this piece. And when we put all these pieces together, it's not going to be an empty puzzle. They're going to see the face of Jesus. But again, they don't even know the order. The word Quran does not come from the word Quranological, okay? So we can gently, graciously show them the order. So we're going to start with Adam. Adam is the, it's the hardest one, but then the others are going to go really quick. So all I do is tell this simple story, like a really simple story. And it's this, well, when God created the first human beings, he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a beautiful place. They had everything they needed, but there were just one rule. They could not eat the fruit from a particular tree. But what happened? Well, they, they didn't obey. And uh, they ate that fruit. 
And when they ate it, they first felt shame because they realized they were naked and they tried to cover themselves with leaves, but the, the leaves couldn't cover the shame. But God is so merciful. And so at one point, God takes animal skins and he covers them. He covers their shame. And I believe he restores a relationship at that point. So that's a pretty simple story, right? Pretty, uh, pretty simple. My kids could probably tell it to you that way. Um, but here's the thing. So what? Right? So what is that story for us? And I'll tell my Muslim friends, I believe God gave us that story, not for just history. I think God wants us to know something about that. Here's what I think God is telling us. Now, we got to think about what does that story mean? So here, who sinned in the garden? Was it Adam and Eve who sinned? Yes. Who got the punishment? Well, think of it like this. Where does God get an animal skin? Well, God is God. He can probably just poof and make it, right? He can probably just speak it into existence. Well, I think in this time, God actually killed an animal. This was the first blood sacrifice in the Bible. I believe God himself slaughtered an animal, probably right in front of Adam and Eve. They could kind of get the gravity of what they've done through that. God took the animal skins, somehow made them into beautiful clothing, and offered them to Adam and Eve. He gave them animal skins. All Adam and Eve had to do was receive what God provided. So who got the punishment? Well, the animal got the punishment, but who did something wrong? Well, Adam and Eve. So think about what this story means. Adam and Eve received mercy when they should have received judgment and wrath of God. So this shows us how merciful God is, right? So, okay, so this, what does that story tell us? Well, I think this story is a picture of what God is going to do. And that someday God is going to send a great sacrifice, just like God had a sacrifice to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve. God is going to do it again, and he's going to do it with a great sacrifice, but we don't know what that is, so we have to look to the next story. The next story is Noah. So again, all I did, I tell this story, and I tell the simple spiritual meaning, and these get simpler as they go on, and the next story is, is Noah, and that's just this. So we know that the children of Adam and Eve eventually went wild and crazy with sin. They, they were so wicked that God decided to, just to destroy the whole earth with a flood. But yet God showed his mercy because uh, Noah was a righteous man. And Noah built an ark. And there was an open, in, open invitation for anyone to come on the ark. But only his, his wife and his three sons came on board and their family. Right? So there's only a few of them on board the ark. So, and we know what happened that the flood came. Now, when the flood came you're either on the ark or you're off the ark. Everyone who was on the ark received mercy and everyone who's off the ark received judgment. And here's what I think that story means. That ark separated the believers from the non-believers, separated the goats and the sheep, if you want to get into that in that way. They separated who is truly having faith in God and who is trying to help themselves. And so what would I say is that, you know, so this ark is like the great sacrifice of Adam. So remember Adam, the story teaches God is going to send the great sacrifice. When that great sacrifice comes, that is like the ark. The ark separates the believers from the non-believers. And when the great sacrifice comes, all the true believers 
receive it and put their faith in that, just like you put your faith that that ark will save you from the flood. All the non-believers rejected the ark. They rejected God's mercy. So a great sacrifice is coming. All the true believers receive the sacrifice. And then we get to, mo to excuse me, Abraham. God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And Abraham was really righteous because he went to go do it. But he was just about to sacrifice his son when God stopped him through an angel. And he said, look, there's another sacrifice. And there was, there was a, a ram. A ram is a male sheep, by the way. So sometimes I just say sheep. If you want to get picky, be as picky as you want. I just say sheep. So there's a sheep that got stuck. And you know what? That uh, Abraham sacrificed the sheep and released his son. That's as simple as, well, what is God trying to teach us with that story? Well, when this great sacrifice comes, all the true believers receive it. When this great sacrifice comes, it comes in the form of a sheep, right? And it is a, comes as a free gift. All Abraham had to do was receive what God provided. And this great sacrifice, we, we don't have to sacrifice the thing that's most important to us. God is the one who provides the sacrifice. So a great sacrifice is coming. All the true believers receive it. This sacrifice comes from God, and it comes in the form of a sheep. You even say it comes in the form of a lamb. By the way, those stories, I've never had a Muslim disagree with me in my telling of those stories. Uh, but now we can give them some information that's a little new to them, because Moses has a lot of information, but there's some things that we can, information they don't have that we can ask. But they will now trust us, or more likely to trust us, because we've told the first three stories accurately according to their point of view. So with the story of Moses, we say simply this, you know, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But what happened is Pharaoh was part. He didn't want to do it. And so he said, no. So God sent some incredible plagues to punish the nation of Egypt. And the last one was a big one. And this is when God said, I'm going to send the angel of death through the entire land of Egypt. By the way, that is super scary to a Muslim today. That idea of God sending a death angel. And I say, yeah, basically, I'm not trying to scare him, but that's what it was, right? God was going to send the angel of death. But there is a way of escape because God's merciful. What the people had to do was take the blood of a lamb. They had to sacrifice a lamb. Take the blood, put it over the door of your house. And when this angel of death comes, if he sees the blood, he will pass over that house. But if there's no blood, the wrath of God is going to enter that house that night. And that's exactly what happened. And so all the true believers in that day, you know, Moses couldn't do it for all of them. They had to decide, are we going to live under the blood of the lamb? So what does that story mean? It is through the shedding of the lamb's blood applied to us by living under the blood of the lamb that we can receive mercy from God. I think you're seeing this is getting closer to Jesus. And then we get to the next one, David. And David was a great and mighty king. And it, it says in the Quran that God gave David the gift of the Psalms. And what the Psalms say is this, is David said in the Psalms that this great coming sacrifice will be one of my ancestors. So he will be the son of a king and he will die on a cross. And at that, even a lot of Christians are like, oh, where does David say that? Well, Psalm 22 and many other Psalms are a prophetic Psalm. 
we look at David like he's some worship leader, like he's some journaling guy with skinny jeans and a V-neck t-shirt playing guitar somewhere, right? Uh, no, he's actually called a prophet in the book of Acts. In fact, the early church quoted David not as a poet, not as a worship leader. He, they quoted him as a prophet. And there are many Psalms, but Psalm 22 is probably the best example. Psalm 22 starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exactly what Jesus said on the cross. So we can look at the Psalms as a prophetic picture of the crucifixion and many other things. And so I just tell Muslims that. By the way, when I first was trained how to say that, I said, you can't tell a Muslim that Jesus is crucified. But by this time, they want to see where you're going. I've, I've never had a Muslim stop me at that point. They just let me keep going through the timeline. And by the way, you can do this in like five minutes. Takes a little practice, but you can do it. Well, the next one's Jonah. So I say, okay, so this great sacrifice, he died on a cross. And that sounds like terrible news, but, but Jonah gives us good news because we know in the story of Jonah, he ran from God, but three days, and he ended up in the belly of a, of a fish, right? A great whale. But three days later, God raised him up. And so we say, even though the great sacrifice died on a cross, three days later, we see from the story of Jonah, he is raised to life again. By the way, Jesus said, the last sign I'm going to show you is the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and nights. Bit of a paraphrase there, but Jesus himself pointed to Jonah. And then the next one is John the Baptist. And John's called the Baptist because people would say, I want to repent, which means turn I want to stop living for myself, and I want to live with God as my king. And so for everyone who did that, because John was teaching and preaching a message called the kingdom of God. That's what he was preaching about. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, you can read that. I don't tell that Muslim friends, that's for you guys. And so what he would do is when someone would say, yes, I want to surrender to God. I want God to be the king of every part of my life. John would take that person underwater, bat, dunk him, and bring him back up is a sign for being changed and made new. And John was baptizing people. And one day John looked up and saw Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is the great sacrifice that God promised way back then. Like Noah, all the story there, all the true believers received Jesus. They, uh, they received the one that God sent, right? So the true believers received Jesus when he came. And uh, just like we learned from Abraham, Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he came as a gift from God. It's through the shedding of his blood and his death on a cross. He died for us, just like the animal died in the place of Adam and Eve. And, but he rose again three days later, and John says, behold, there he is. Therefore, Jesus is the great sacrifice who died in our place. By believing he died and rose again in us, we can have our sin and shame covered just like Adam and Eve did. And we can have permission to enter the kingdom of God. And yes, that has to do with allegiance to Jesus. It's not just saying, okay, I believe he died and rode again. It's saying, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him as my king. And so this is how we've seen a lot of Muslims come to faith. This is how my friend Moses on that video has been sharing. And by the way, a lot of Muslims... They'll ask this afterwards. They say, well, what about my guy? I mean, does Muhammad have a role here? I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about him. 
we never have to attack Muhammad or anyone else. We just simply say this. Well, I believe, what did, what did Muhammad tell you? Well, he said, you know, look, follow the straight path. And by the way, there's so much more information in the Quran that says you need to follow the message of every one of these guys. And so I just say Muhammad basically said, look back, look backwards. And again, ample evidence to show that in the Quran. So guys, that is a simple way that we found to share the gospel with Muslim through loving them, through connecting with answering their questions, not in a way that we get bogged down, but through answering so we can get on because I want to talk about the kingdom and that the kingdom is open and available. And I want them to hear that Jesus is the one who died in their place. And we've seen Muslims, even if they don't accept it, at least they can understand and not just hear Christianese or Christian jargon that just confuses them. So there are a few other uh, things available. Uh, you can go to thekingdomconversation.com or you can email me at thekingdomconversation.com. We have a video series uh, and there's a lot of other resources of other things that you can get. Um, so please let me know if you have questions, but I'm going to give it back to Ted because you guys are making me tired. And uh, Ted, do we have any questions? Yeah, <clears throat> really got just one here, but I think it's a good one. Question is this. How effective is the straight path timeline in terms of adaptations to the honor and shame paradigm? I'm sure you've heard about the honor shame paradigm and has this straight path timeline been adapted to it? Uh, what, what is the, uh, what's your reaction to that question? Yeah, um, a friend of mine wrote a book called The 3D Gospel. It's fantastic. And I absolutely believe that we need to be very mindful that Muslims um, are coming from, most of them are coming from an honor shame mindset or a worldview. So when we think about, um, when we think about, let me go back here, especially what we're presenting in terms of the gospel, I believe we have honored them because we have spoken accurately and graciously uh, about all these guys that they admire so much. And I believe that we, we haven't attacked what they believe. I don't use any of this as a stick. I don't you see, you're wrong about this, you're wrong. I just offer the truth on a plate of love. That's all I offer. And so when we do this, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, if generally when I have a longer time, we do a whole thing about honor and shame. And I believe that this has been a great way that fits right into that. So I don't know if there's a specific element the questioner had, but um, this is how we do it. And I've, I, I've never had, and I've shared this with a lot of Muslims. Um, I've never had a Muslim show me that they're shamed. And by the way, there's a whole group of Muslims that want to visit a church here in the area. And we, they did a presentation for us recently. And when they come visit our church, I'm not excited about them. Church can be a difficult place for them to come. But what I'm excited about is that when they come, we'll get a chance to share it with them. And this is what I want. This is I want them to come to church just so they can hear this. And again, I've never had a Muslim ever demonstrate in any way that they feel shamed or dishonored through this. So I, I hope that answers the question. But um, yeah, yeah, is there, are there others? Yeah, there's a couple others. We got to answer these quick because we are basically out of time right now. But a couple other questions. First of all, is this straight path a timeline available in video? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, but here's the deal. 
I don't want this to be a video that you can just show your Muslim friends. I, I don't believe that the gospel is designed to be shared electronically. What I want is I want everyone watching to be able to share this with their Muslim friend personally. Don't compare yourself to me. I used the guy who taught this to me. I mean, in my opinion, he's far better at this than I am. I don't compare yourself to him. I should not compare myself to him. I should not compare myself to anyone. Don't compare yourself to me, but just learn these practice with a friend, just go and give it your best shot. So it's available on video, but it's a training video. It's not designed. Hey, just go watch this video. Uh, okay. We've looked at putting some cartoons or something on YouTube with this. There's something similar, uh, but they, they miss out a lot of guys. And I, and I think it's more effective this way. So, yeah. How about, uh, again, got to have short answer. Sorry, it's kind of okay. unfair to do to you, but do you ever go from the timeline to a decision, a point of decision? Uh, generally, I just let them respond. After sharing, I just share what they, what they think. And uh, the very first Muslim I shared with uh, that, that came to faith, I, I shared this with him and he just said, yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah, I didn't know what to do because I, I didn't believe I could lead a Muslim to the Lord, but he'd come to faith, right? And because uh, he believed. He believed we shared with his father at his request and his dad looked at this and um, he just goes, wow, well, I'm, I'm not sure I believe this, but, but this is a really good belief though. This is really good. So I don't ask them to make a prayer right then and there, by the way, asking the Muslim to pray, to accept Jesus into their heart is in my experience is not a good idea because that prayer doesn't make any sense to them. All right. So, Okay. Okay. By, by the way, the slides, the presentation is downloadable in the chat there. If you want to click on that link, um, we got a couple more. I'm going to only give you one more though because of the time. Okay. Um, somebody asked. I'm currently working with a young woman from Afghanistan and visit weekly, but I don't even know where to start with these stories. Where would you start, Jeff? Okay. First of all, Holy Spirit, can you please lead me and guide me when to introduce these stories? Uh, be, demonstrate the fruit of the spirit, ask God to give you love for her, uh, offer to pray with her. If, if you're getting to just have a holy curiosity about who she is and say, you know, Lord, can you help me to be a demonstration of love to her? If she ever says anything like, well, I'm having trouble with this or this, you can say, you know what? Yeah. Can, I believe God answers prayer. Can, can I just pray for that for you? And then just be patient. Uh, I, I, I don't know of any way to, to generate that, but prayer, love, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me in that. And e email me if you have other questions on that. All right. I know there's a couple other questions you got. You can, you can email Jeff directly. Uh, so let me just pray. Heavenly Father, um, help us to just love in a very um, heartfelt way. Muslims uh, into the kingdom. And Lord, as we think about ways to share with them in a way that honors them, this straight path, uh, it's an awesome way. And we just ask, Lord, that you would use us. Thank you for Jeff and for what he shared here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everybody, Thank for you. being on the call. Thanks so much, guys.